Hello, and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Basca, and today we welcome Wes Hurley, director of Potato Dreams of America, a new film that just premiered at South by Southwest. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk about your film, Potato Dreams of America. Thank you. And I wanted to talk to you. I I assume that this is a semi-autobiographical film. And in terms of your own experiences with growing up in the former USSR, one of the things that I loved watching unfold was the way that it uses humor to open up this conversation around pain and bigotry, both in terms of your origin story and also in terms of the American story as well. And I wondered if you could talk about how you chose to use humor in this film. Yeah, so the film is 99% autobiographical. It's very faithful to what actually happened. The humor in it is something that's just like how I live my life and my mom's influence, especially she has this kind of dry sense of humor that's always been part of how we deal with you know, any adversity (laughs) or horrible situations. And I really, it's something speaks to me, both as an audience member, like I like when stories of hardships and difficult things also integrate humor. And and as a creator, it's really important to me. Like I, I I couldn't make something that doesn't have that element in it. I think it's just how we survive. Yeah. And those beautiful over the top fantasies that you start with right off the bat in black and white. That almost reminded me of a Guy Madden sequence. I don't know oh, if you're thank you. a fan of his. Yeah, I definitely am. I discovered Guy Madden a couple of years ago. I really, um, and my style was already sort of along those lines. And then it really spoke to me because I'm a huge fan of silent cinema mm. and sort of the visual language of silent cinema. And I'm really excited that he's integrated into his work over the years. Yeah, the way that you choreograph your fantasy version of what you see playing out in the fight between your parents in the apartment and then how cinema sort of saves you from the reality. Mm -hmm. That sequence just works so well. Oh, thank you so much. And, And I wondered in terms of the way that you talk about a lot of the different issues that come out in your film are really focused on the various different kinds of bigotry that are experienced in Russia. And one of the things that I really loved there as well was having these perfectly posed picture shots of the class of school children. But I wondered if you could talk about how that felt in terms of trying to create the portrait. How difficult was it to kind of weigh how you portrayed Russia in an American film so as not to turn people off or to make people more xenophobic than, let's say, America already is? Yeah, I mean, that wasn't a concern of mine because I don't feel like Russians are a target of any kind of discrimination, really. It's not an oppressed group. And Mm. it's such a powerful country. You know, it's one of the superpowers. So I'm not, it's not my responsibility to make sure people don't like Russia. You know, I think it's a horrible country. I think how people are treated is really terrible. And I'm not apologetic about how I portray it at all. I think if people walk away thinking there's a lot of bigotry there and it's scary, I think that's what I want to portray. (laughs) I'm not not afraid to say that. 
but I'm also, you know, I'm careful. It, it's my story. It's what I experienced. I think one of the reasons that I wanted Russia to be so stylized and theatrical is to convey the sense of like, this is a memory of a childhood. This is a, a constructed world. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to mm -hmm. pretend this. This is not a movie. It's like, this is how I remember things. It's authentic to me, but if somebody has a different experience, they're welcome to make their own film. People who have seen it from other Eastern European post-Soviet countries, for the most part, I think it really resonated with them. So I feel like it's, it's faithful to what that reality was yeah. or is. I don't know. I can't speak for what, how Russia is now because I haven't been there for 20-something years. I was there a few years ago, and it didn't strike me as... I mean, drones were following me the entire time I was there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not even kidding. Like, there were yeah, drones no, following the tour bus the entire time. And it was terrifying. And I will tell you, a lot of things in the film, to me personally, rang true based on what I've heard from those experiences in my travels. I really appreciated it and I loved the humor. I just wondered how that balance was for you. Yeah, I wasn't, I was just trying to tell my, like, I wasn't really concerned. I mean, yeah, that wasn't a concern. No, and, and I think that's great. And I also have to say that I love how you portray the, the different brand of bigotry that you face when you come to America, when you have the teacher who's all about awareness and inclusivity, you have the lovers who are all about speak to me in Russian. It's a racism that pretends it's not racism. Yeah, it's very much like a Seattle liberal kind of bigotry. Yeah, know? yeah. And that teacher, um, you know, that conversation is almost verbatim how it happened my first day of school and I was just floored because she was so determined that she knew what's good for me <laughs> because I'm yeah. Russian. <laughs> yeah. Actually, my best friend in the third grade was Ukrainian and had a very similar first day of school. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny how people who are very well-meaning have yeah. these same kinds of problems and don't necessarily recognize what that middle name means and what the problems are. But one thing that I love is that even if you're on the outside of knowing a lot of this, your camera work makes the tone so clear, even if you don't necessarily understand all of the context there. Thank you so much. And I wondered how closely you had to work with the DP on the timing and getting everything just so. Yeah, I try to be very deliberate because when I, I write the scripts, I always know that I'm going to have to make it. So I kind of, when I write, I already envision every frame in my mind. And then the next step is um, my deep, amazing DP, Vincent Pierce, and I, we just get back together and we storyboard everything very, very precisely again. And part of it, mostly because I'm very deliberate about the vision of it but also i think it's something with when you're trying to make an ambitious film like that for a very tiny budget you just have no room for not knowing what you're doing <laughs> like, <laughs> you just have to plan everything in advance because you have no money no time very limited resources you just have to really know and plan in advance and the advanced planning i think is always so essential when you have a limited budget because the better you plan in advance the more production value, it seems to grow. Absolutely, yeah. Always. It comes off very beautifully, and it almost seems 
Like whatever minimalism there is was very, very deliberately done. And it never seems like it's anything other than what it was meant to be. At mm -hmm. any point, so. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the goal, right? Is to make it look that way for sure. I wanted to give a quick question about Leah Delaria and her casting in this film. I can't help asking. I'm sorry, because she's yeah, amazing absolutely. and I love her. Obviously, she's Boo from Orange is the New Black, but additionally, I think she adds so much character to the Russian sequences as the grandmother. She's sort of the voice of old Russia. Mm -hmm. And how did you identify her in a lineup as that? <laughs> yeah, you know, we were so lucky. I There's something about Leah, you know, I've followed her work for a long time before um, Orange is the New Black. Even, and I've always been a huge fan. And I just could see my grandma in her somehow. And even in our pitch lookbook that we created to fundraise for the film, I used her photo. So when she said yes to the project, it was just the biggest most exciting thing because I, you know, I told her, I was like, even when I was writing, I was kind of hoping maybe you could play this role. There's something about her that reminded me about my mm. grandma and that kind of funny, <clears throat> blunt, you know, <laughs> very, yeah. not very sensitive. <laughs> yeah. Not a very sensitive character, but like direct, blunt, very funny. And she brought so much to it, I feel like. But she's also got this gorgeous and sweet voice too. Thanks. She has such a beautiful voice. I mean, you know, she's such a beautiful jazz singer, too. We had this conversation early on, and I was like, I, I don't know if it comes across in a script, because it's like, she's kind of a monster, but she does love us, you know? And Leah said, oh, it definitely comes across. Like, I get, I get her. She said, I really get who she is. You know, she's just a rough, rough around the edges person. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm just thrilled with her performance. And I like the idea of gay actors having opportunities to play straight roles, you know. I love how in this entire cast, it's a very inclusive story with a very inclusive cast. I really appreciated how you have this story where there are multiple hidden identities, as well as obviously the ones you'd like to hide and the ones that you can't hide. And you have very open conversations about gender experimentation as well. And I wondered, for you as a filmmaker, how much of that is an imperative for you in all of your filmmaking now going forward? I know you have a panel scheduled on this topic later. Yeah. But <laughs> I still want to hear your thoughts now, if I can. I mean, you know, I'm very passionate about gender inclusivity. It's something that, surprisingly, my mom, I don't know, my mom is kind of a miracle person because she grew up in a very close-minded society literally everybody in the family in our community was close-minded and she wasn't and so she raised me with very different values and so it's always been important to me to highlight that in my work i have a series called capitol hill which is all gender bending there's like every gender expression possible in it and it's just treated as a fact of life you know it's not commenting on that so i think i mean i definitely see that as sort of a through line and a lot of what I do. And you intend to spend a lot of time working towards more gender inclusivity on other projects down the line too, I would assume. I mean, yeah, I, I think so. You know, I'm mostly interested in stories about LGBT people. I mean, that's my passion. And, and I have to say, even just those scenes of the lovers in bed 
I absolutely loved those sequences, even though I recognized some of them as looking like queer as folk. It didn't matter to me because it just <laughs> felt so wonderful to see <laughs> scenes of gay sex on screen in a feature length film that I haven't seen in a long time. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm curious how people are going to react to it because it kind of, you know, it's the film is kind of PG up to that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was, you know, I think it was important for me to show passage of time and sort of my evolution in a very short montage. And that just seemed like a very appropriate way uh, mm -hmm. to show how, you know, the uh, your identity as an immigrant, you know, you start out trying to hide it and you don't want to talk about it. And then maybe you realize it actually makes you more exotic and interesting and you start to play it up when it's to your advantage. You know, it's like, it's so complicated and layered. And so I wanted to convey that. And I think it, I hope it does. It does. It does very well. Going from that moment of, I don't want anyone to recognize that I'm Russian. I want people to recognize me for other things. And then suddenly being able to seduce people by introducing the theme of, well, I could tell you in Russian. Yeah. <laughs> it works very well in terms of showing him reclaiming both his sexuality as well as his Americanism in that moment. And I wondered, did you feel accepted at that time when you sort of embraced it as a put on? Was that freeing for you in that moment? And in the filming of it, did that feel freeing? I mean, it definitely kind of had a moment of recognition of how far I've come or how much I've changed over the years. Mm. And I think it it's more having to do with not so much other people as but how I see myself like I just stopped being insecure about having an accent and partially because my accent is, has decreased so much you know so it just became less of a an issue for me and suddenly I wasn't threatened by it anymore you know mm. but it you know it took many many years to get to that point it's so funny because some people have seen the movie there's a couple who thought that this is like happened within a week I'm like no <laughs> this is not <laughs> <laughs> this montage is meant to show like passage of time <laughs> like years you know <laughs> i mean it's definitely liberating to have less hang-ups about yourself and any you know whatever that is right mm -hmm. was the process of filming it as well oh yeah i think filming it because honestly like i wrote the script eight years ago and i've been trying to raise money for it and make it in different types of budget levels and so I've had to talk about this project for so long and like go with the script for so long that there's sort of, even though it's, like I said, it's 99% accurate to exactly as things happen and conversations are almost verbatim, but I do dissociate from it in a way. Like I, it does feel like a story now, which I think is sort of therapeutic for a lot of people. You know, I think that's why we tell stories too sometimes is to sort of purge that and let it be its own thing. Now it just yeah. kind of lives there as a story and you're not as connected to it anymore. Yeah. And you can experience it and critique it mm -hmm. at the back of the theater as opposed to living on screen. Yeah. I think that's a wonderful observation. And for you, in the process of it, did you find yourself trying to direct the actors to behave more like the real life people or? 
to cue them to be more stylized in their performances typically? Well, at least with Potato and his mom, I tried to really go by what, you know, how we really were. And mm. I talked to the actor how, you know, because when I came to America at first, I was a very different person in terms of like my body language and everything. So I talked through that. The actress who plays my mom in America, she actually studied my mom like she knows my mom well. She hung out with her. She watched a lot of videos of her when my mom first came to the United States. So yeah, I think it was important, but you you do have to like kind of focus on the story overall too, because whenever you're making a real life story into a film, I feel like there's so much condensing that has to happen that you kind of have to focus on the overall story. And does that make sense? Like you can't get too caught up into, oh, she was wearing a red sweater at that time, or she was, yeah. you know, that's not how she said it, because it may make sense more for this condensed version to do it this way or that way. But but yeah, it was important for me to, for them to be recognizable as my mom and I basically, yeah. And I just got a great compliment from like one of my oldest friends. He saw the film and he said, Tyler is just like, I remember you when you were like young kid in college. <laughs> like, oh, that's the best thing ever. Makes me wow. so happy. And how is your family also dealing with this? So like Grace and your mother, I mean, you, you mentioned how your mother and the actress were getting along in terms of figuring that out. But what about Grace's reaction to the film? So Grace, uh, well, her real, in real uh, life, named Janice. Janice passed away a few years ago, unfortunately. But, you know, we stayed friends. We stayed in touch. We weren't like close friends, but we stayed in touch. We were really lucky, my mom and I, to like see her the day she passed and like hold her hand in the hospital and tell her how much she meant to us and how much she like saved our lives. But this was, my God, I don't even know anymore, like five years ago, maybe she passed away. My grandma passed away as well. So it's basically, I mean, it's my mom and I at this point. My mom is super supportive of telling the story. I feel like the film is told from my perspective, but the scenes that are from her perspective, like working in prison and stuff like that, I talked to her about like what was that experience, you know, and even like production design details. Was it like this? Was it like that? You know, but she's been super supportive. Other than that, you know, it's mostly my mom and I. That has to be such a surreal experience, though, trying to recreate this cast of people who you've lost touch with over the years. Yeah. People who, who are beloved and have passed on and trying to preserve their memory on film. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. I mean, like I said, I, I really disassociated from it to the point where I don't think about it anymore for the most part. But there were moments during production where it like hit me and just really struck me. And it was weird. Like the scene where Potato comes out to his mom, like that conversation is exactly like it happened and the actors really captured how we were in that moment and that felt really weird like i just kind of had to take a moment <laughs> to process that it felt very strange i think it's a wonderful film in terms of the way that you portray so many deep emotional connections but also larger issues like nationalism, can I just say, I love that you have this singing, big busted brunette in the American flag as they're going on the plane to America. That's not too different from some of the communist propaganda in the earlier part of the film. 
in that part, I didn't mean to come across as nationalistic as much as like, you know, for us in at that time, in that really oppressive environment, anything that was America, it just was, it was that over the top, like freedom and happy, perfect mm-hmm. life, you know. It is disturbing how, you know, I, like I said, I wrote the script about eight years ago and there are scenes, you know, when the, um, the students in Russia are chanting the mm-hmm. anti-Semitic chant. And when I wrote it initially, it felt like this is just like a fragment of history and time in a different place and time. And then actually shooting it during Donald Trump administration, it just took on this whole other thing and it felt really hard you know it felt like it felt more relevant but also more disturbing because it felt like now we're not recreating history but you know this is what's happening now in this country it's like everything keeps repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating and not even vaguely going away yeah i mean you even read here you'll hear about a classroom in some american college they're all doing a hitler salute for a photo it's like you would think that you know in this day and age and in this country but no i'm actually a classroom teacher by training and even in the county in which i live there are kids drawing swastikas all over the place my god and thinking it's a normal thing to do and totally accepted and within the bounds of reason. And I keep looking at the works of filmmakers who are very outspoken against fascism, and this is still very vital work. And for you, in terms of the filmmaking process, are you trying to draw in a lot of these threads of social justice into your work now, or are you trying to kind of keep a focus? This film has so many issues attached to it and that's mm-hmm. what i've been working on and it's still gonna be my baby for a while so okay i mean i imagine everything i do will have some element of that because that's what's important to me because it's always kind of draining to be thinking politically about what's around the bend and connecting to the world of film, which is getting kind of depressing these days and trying to keep your chin up and at the same time, keep being creative and productive while the pandemic is going on, while politics is still terrifying. Yeah. In spite of the fact that, yes, we have a somewhat more sane person in charge now, the challenging times. I just try to remind myself, you know, I grew up with my grandmother's, great-grandmother's stories of being refugee in World War II and depression, all that stuff. So I'm like, I know there's a lot of challenges that we have, but it's nothing that our ancestors haven't already overcome tenfold. You know what I mean? Like, we, we can't give up now. And when you think about your own past in Russia, how does that help you think about it? as well i mean it's helpful because it's just you know my my childhood was so much harder than anything else in my life or anything else that could possibly happen in the states that it gives me some perspective i think a lot of immigrants who come from places like that that are war zones or just really really dysfunctional places as hard as things are in the states right now and as scary the last four years have been it just doesn't compared to to like Mm -hmm. things that happen in other places of the world so i mean that always kind of gives me perspective on one hand but on the other hand it also makes you more scared because you know how bad things can get (laughs) it's like 
it's a twofold kind of thing. That threat feels very real to me. I wondered also for you in terms of looking back on your experiences in Russia and what you've taken of that experience to the States with you. How do you feel about your experiences now in comparison with other immigrant stories that you hear? Do you feel like it's it's very comparable or do you feel like you're telling a very unique immigrant story? No, I don't think it's unique. And I, I do, you know, when I made a short of the same story, that's like a condensed 13 minute short that also premiered at South by, I mean, there's so many immigrants from all kinds of places that have said, this is so close to what happened to me. Not the mail order bride thing, but the overall experience. And even the film references, like the films, American films that made it out and made an impact on people in other countries. It's funny that there's a lot of parallels. You know, it's like personal is universal and universal is personal. It's, it's complicated. It's like, of course, there's people who had very different experience than me. You know, if, if you grew up in Moscow, it's a much more cosmopolitan place. They didn't have power outages every day like we did. Was it as anti-Semitic and bigoted against, against gay people? Probably, but I can't speak to that because I grew up in the opposite side of the country. So I think it's nobody has a unique experience, but at the same time, I don't claim to represent every Russian gay immigrant, and I wouldn't want to. <laughs> it's a wonderful film, and I think you're right. The universal is personal is universal is personal, and it's the snake eating its own tail. It's that Ouroboros, and mm -hmm. it really is incredible, though, how you manage to communicate so much through humor. I just love how the humor makes the pain bearable <laughs> in the beginning of that film. And it makes it palpable, but it also makes it bearable and it makes it enjoyable <laughs> for your audience while at the same time kind of making me want to cry <laughs> inside. But, but I oh, want to thank you so much. Thank for you for film. saying that. Thank you. I think that's part of the Russian culture too. The, uh, you know, I think Russians have this kind of really dry, somber sense of humor is kind of similar to British humor. Mm hmm. It's pretty dark, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. just because it's like the Russian history is just history of never ending despair <laughs> and people have to survive. I want to thank you so much for this wonderful interview and for sharing your thoughts on this film. And I wish you good luck at the festival. Thank you for having me. Take good care. Thank you, Ariel. Bye. Thank you for listening. And thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of lands stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land and I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review by clicking on support the show in the show notes, 
We don't want your money. We want your words. A simple RTO rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content. And connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at Omnibus Ride. You can also visit our website, omnibusride.com, where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch. <laughs>